What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Keep It Posy podcast. My name is Jasmine, and this is episode 77. It's been two weeks since the last episode was published, so if you're a frequent listener of the podcast, I do appreciate you sticking around during this transition as there is a new episode every other week. As always, with the crazy times we are living in, I hope you are being nice to yourself. This week's nonprofit organization featured in the Posse Spotlight is West Oakland Punks with Lunch. West Oakland Punks with Lunch is a nonprofit organization that began when a couple of punks came together to make lunches for their unhoused neighbors in West Oakland in 2015. Volunteers are dedicated to providing life-saving services along with harm reduction resources to underserved and marginalized individuals. They also empower and provide a safe space for individuals to make informed decisions regarding their own lives. To learn more or make a donation to West Oakland Punks with Lunch, you can visit punkswithlunch.org. This week's episode features Andy Pohl. Andy is active in the music scene and stays busy running Salva Heart Records, hosting Question the Answers podcast, and playing in the punk rock band Tsunami Bomb. I had the chance to talk with Andy last month, and in this conversation, we talked about how he started the label and the podcast, how he ended up joining Tsunami Bomb, the grunge scene, and more. This one was a blast. Here's my conversation with Andy on the Keep a Posse podcast. Hello? Hi, Jasmine. Hey, dude, how are you? You know, I'm doing okay. Uh, just kind of enjoying a, a mostly lazy Sunday. Um, my wife and I are hanging out. We just watched the Saturday Night Live Thanksgiving special, and I made a quick trip to the record store, and I'm packing up some records right now to send out tomorrow, and um, probably going to play a little guitar, you know, so mostly just a nice, nice Sunday. Yay, dude. Um, well, it still sounds like you're busy, though, because packaging records, depending on how many takes time because they're records <laughs> right <laughs> um but yeah dude so thank you for hopping on you have a lot going on aside from playing music you run your label and for a while you had also been doing your podcast which i understand it's been put on hold for now so i guess i'll start by asking well, I'll start with the podcast. Sure. What got you to start doing the podcast? You know, it, it started off mostly as a means for me to try to keep myself busy um, during the pandemic. Um, I, I had always flirted with the idea of trying to do a podcast, but you know, I found that I just didn't have the bandwidth for it or the time. But given that we were all basically you know, stuck at home for the most part. Um, I felt like, you know, this might be a perfect opportunity for me to explore that. And on top of, 
you know, giving myself like a new project to work on, uh, I thought that it might be a, a nice way to try to incorporate a different avenue to help represent the record label in a way. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of you know different bands or um, I've seen a few other record labels uh, do their own podcasts as well. So I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just try it out and see if I might be able to grow the audience for Sell the Heart Records a little bit by not only speaking and talking to other artists that I, you know, am interested in talking to, but by featuring some of the artists that I work with as well. Yeah, I could see that. Obviously, like I saw some, you talk to your band and then also just other folks in the scene. So I'm going to go and ask the question that I always ask people. Because sure. you, you know, again, you play music um, and you have your label. And I mean, things like that don't happen overnight. People somehow end up doing what they do. So how did you get into music? And then along your journey, how did you get to all the way to where you're at now doing what you do? Well, you know, I was pretty fortunate when I was a, a kid. I grew up in a family that was pretty musically inclined. Uh, my mother is a musician and, and plays many instruments. And, you know, we, we had music in the house a lot. My dad listened to a lot of music, um, you know, so I got exposed to the stuff that he liked from an early age. And, you know, we had we had like a turntable when I was a little kid and, you know, we had records around and you know, I, you know, I grew up in the 1980s and, you know, MTV was obviously super huge and I have older sisters. And so they were listening and watching music videos all the time when we had uh, access to MTV and, you know, they, they would introduce me to bands and uh, between all of that, uh, I just started to grow an appreciation for music. And uh, around fifth grade, I picked up my first instrument. I was playing saxophone. Um, you know, my, my grandparents uh, helped get an instrument for me. And that was the instrument that, I mean, I'll be honest, I gravitated towards drums. Like I think a lot of kids do when they're young because they love to make noise. But my parents kind of laid the kibosh on that. They're like, nah, no, 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 we're not doing drums here. So you got to pick something else. And um, I thought saxophone seemed cool. So I picked saxophone and I started learning that as my first instrument. Played that all the way through high school. Um, and along the way, I picked up guitar. I had a friend who suggested that I started playing bass because everyone played guitar and he was like, you know what? There's no bassists. Why don't you play bass? And I actually thought that, that was a good idea. So I started playing bass and you know, I, I, I loved bands like the Chili Peppers back then. I, I loved 311, Primus, you know, all the kind of bass forward bands, you know? And uh, so it kind of stuck with me. And so that, that was my main instrument for a really long time was uh, playing bass in bands and, you know, I, I was in a few bands in high school, I was in a few bands in college, and then I kept playing music uh, after college with a few bands. And um, along the way, um, you know, just music's kind of been this all-consuming thing in my life. I, you know, I go to a lot of shows. I've always been going to a lot of shows. I, you know, I've toured a little bit with bands I was in in the past. And, you know, that brings me kind of to now where you know, a few years back, um, I hadn't been playing any music with anyone. Uh, I was focusing more on career, but 
uh, I happened to be living with Dominic Davi, who's the basis for Tsunami Bomb. And I was actually working with him too. Like we, we, we lived together, we worked together. And, you know, I, I was there when Tsunami Bomb decided to kind of come back together and, and start doing stuff again. And, um, you know, along the way, the guitarist had to, had to leave and they ended up having a different guitarist for a little while. But eventually they decided that they needed somebody who was more local. So Dom just happened to say, hey, man, like, would you be interested in, in doing this? So I, I just was like, yeah, of course. That sounds awesome. I, I'd love to be a part of it. And, you know, I, I had known them for, for forever. Like I, I was friends with the band since really since they began back around, you know, 2000, like 1999, like 2000. So we already had a, a relationship as friends and we like old bands of mine played shows together back in the day, but um, yeah, it just felt like a great opportunity. And, you know, now I'm here and I'm doing the record label and, you know, that's been something I've been doing for about 10 years now, actually 11 years now. And it's, it's a really fun endeavor. I, I love working with bands. I love putting out music for bands and uh, I love the whole process of it. it. It keeps me kind of intertwined in the music scene uh, to a degree. Yeah. Wow, dude, that's awesome. So how long have you been playing with Tsunami Bomb? It's almost, I mean, gosh, I, I think it's four and a half years now, I think, officially, like, approximately. Um, getting, yeah, it's getting close to, getting close to five. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, uh, like, I can't even really remember, to be honest. I, I, I want to say it's been like four and a half years. Yeah. Dude, that's sick. I first learned of Tsunami Bomb from the Warp Tour comp. I think it was 2003. Yeah, I believe that they were one of the featured bands on the 2003 comp, which from what I remember was one of the bigger compilations that the Warp Tour put out. I, I think that that was like probably one of the most stacked. Probably. I don't know. I mean, the only reason it stands out for me is because it was the first comp I ever bought. Mm. Um, and I, I look at the track listing now, and I'm like, dude, all these bands, I'm still jamming, like, mm -hmm. hands down. So you've been doing your label, going on 11 years. Why did you decide to start a label? How did you start it? Um, you know, it was, it was a group of friends of mine when I was living in Santa Rosa, California, and we just kind of started talking about the idea of starting a record label because we we realized that there were no labels locally to that area that were really doing anything within the scope of like the punk rock and indie rock scene. There had been a few that existed prior, like years prior to us thinking about doing this, but all of them had essentially stopped like doing anything like they stopped releasing records and there were still plenty of bands that were releasing stuff independently like on their own but there wasn't really a a label to kind of document the the time and and location and and we felt that that music scene specifically to the santa rosa petaluma sonoma county north bay area was pretty awesome and there were a lot of really cool bands and we just kind of felt like maybe it would be a cool idea to to 
collectively put some energy behind some of these bands to kind of help elevate them outside of just our little scene, right? And, and yeah, so we, we just started talking about it and we had these kind of big ideas for what we wanted to do with it. Um, we essentially wanted to try to make it into uh, kind of a one-stop shop for bands where if we were working with your band, we would not only help you release the record, but we would market it. We would help you book shows. We would um, help you with like printing materials, like shirts and that kind of thing. So, so it would almost be like this. It's, it's kind of funny, like on a, on a very small scale it would almost be like what they consider like a 360 deal with bands. Right. Which I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with that term, but it's, it's what a lot of like the major labels do nowadays where they do this 360 degree, you know, it's what, it's what it refers to deal where effectively the label is handling everything. So they manufacture it, they produce it, they promote it, they market it, they make all your tour stuff, they, they book everything for you. And they're the ones who essentially get all of the proceeds from it. And then the, the artist only gets like a very small percentage, right? Now, we, we weren't venturing to do that, you know, like per se. We, we wanted to make it much more ideal for the artist where it would be much more lucrative for them because our, our intentions were a little bit more on like the, we just want to do it because we love it, you know, because we're, we're having fun. Like we weren't trying to make like an actual business out of it. But um, what we ended up with was... Uh, an idea that was a little too big. And so eventually it whittled down to becoming what it is now where, you know, a few of the people that I was initially talking to and uh, decided to just no longer kind of be involved. And, um, and so it, it effectively just became my project. And so that's where sell the heart eventually kind of started off where um, really what, what I do is I pair myself up with bands and, pretty much on a, on a one by one basis, we figure out what the partnership is going to look like. So whether or not that means the label is going to pay for X, Y, or Z, right. Uh, it all kind of changes. Like I don't have like a one, uh, type of deal that I offer bands. Uh, so it just kind of depends on who the band is. Yeah. Dude, that's sick. Um, yeah, because they all have their own needs, you know? Um, right. Some people might just be looking to put out an album. I mean, an EP and others just want to go all the way. And they're like, dude, we have an album. We're just looking to some for someone to help us put it out. Uh, dude, that's sick. Yeah, you're uh, pretty busy with it now. <laughs> I am. Yeah. The, the last two years have actually been, uh, the best two years in the label's existence. Um, you, you know, early, early on, it was the type of situation where, you know, I had, I had no idea what I was doing. It was all, it was all essentially me and, and earlier on the, the group of friends that I was trying to work with initially, you know, we were just thinking, Hey, like we'll just, work with a band and we'll pay to have the record made and then we'll just kind of promote it and see if it goes well. 
and not really understanding a lot of the other mechanisms that are in place. Like, like we, we didn't really understand what PR really looked like, right? Like, you know, having to create a series of calendar events ahead of time and say, okay, well, this is when we're going to drop this single. And like, this is where we're going to push this single. And like, this is when the album's going to come out. And so, you know, two weeks prior to all of those, we have to do this big media blast. And like, we got to contact all these people. And like, you know, all of that stuff that we, I, I eventually learned over time. Right. And, if, you know, I, I, I figured out what the correct or what a better rhythm is for the release cycle and how do you properly promote something and when is it best to release stuff and, you know, uh, depending on the format, you know, what avenues are correct. And, and, and not to mention, I, I think to the, the types of bands that I'm working with, uh, it, it's, it's changed in some ways, but for the most part, it's, it's all kind of within the greater indie rock, punk rock, post-rock, post-hardcore. Um, you know, I, I work with a couple of like progressive metal bands, you know, it's, it's just, I have pretty eclectic music taste and, and I think it's fun to work with a lot of different types of bands, uh, kind of to the detriment of the label because, you know, some labels, kind of only stick to one genre, right? And that's probably a wise business decision because then you always kind of know what audience you're going for. And for me, it's a little bit more loose. So I'm kind of throwing stuff at the wall and saying, hey, maybe you'll like this. You know, so, you know, I like it. Maybe you'll like it. And that's a little bit harder, but um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking I might start narrowing, narrowing it down a little bit, but we'll, we'll see, you know. Dude. I mean, you guys are killing it out there. Thanks. Yeah, dude. If you like it, you're like, dude, I'm just going to try and figure out what we could do here. Right. I don't know. Well, sure. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with trying to incorporate different styles of music into your catalog, right. As a, as a, as a record label. I, I definitely understand the merits of trying to have a more focused lineup because like I mentioned earlier, it does allow you to funnel, you know, uh, all of your marketing to one specific type of audience. Right. Because let's face it. Some, some people really only listen to maybe one style of music and like, that's kind of their favorite. Right. Which is great, which is fine. That's not me though. Like I'm one of those people that consumes a lot of different types of music and I appreciate all types of music. And I know that there's people like me out there. There's probably more people like me out there than there are people that only listen to one type of music. To be perfectly honest with you, that's what I think. But, but um, it does make uh, the, the, the marketing thing challenging because you know, the, the tools that we have in place, like social media and um, you know, utilizing PR it can be challenging to find those people because a lot of those media outlets are so genre specific, right? And social media tends to throttle, you know, all of your organic reach unless you start paying for advertising. So that all costs money and it, it, you know, you have to work to figure out how to massage it the right way so that it's getting in front of the right people. And um, I think too, just, people on social media are kind of inundated with ads 
all the time. So oftentimes, I mean, I know that this happens to me, like if I'm scrolling through and I just see an ad by some band that I've never heard of, I'm just going to go flip, whatever, you know, I don't, you know, so it's, it's, it's a challenge, you know? And, uh, uh, the, 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 the best thing that I am striving for and constantly encouraging people to kind of get on board with is to really help me and the other bands by posting, you know, stuff that I like sharing stuff to like their stories on, on Instagram and like commenting, tagging people, anything like that, because word of mouth, I think goes so much further than me spending, you know, 45, 50 bucks on a paid post on Facebook. You know what I mean? So, cause, cause people like, like, let's say you, if you reshare something of mine, people that follow you will be like, Oh, well, if Jasmine likes it, then maybe I'll, I'll be interested, you know? And that reminds me what you and Rob do about having a group specifically for the label. I think is really smart because sometimes you do not see those posts that you get. Like if you're making the same post on the labels page, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Facebook in particular has become very, it's very frustrating. Um, it, 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 it was once a great tool and, you, you know, understanding that Facebook is a business, I get why they do things the way that they do. Like I get it, but it, it just, it, it's frustrating because if, if I could, I would, I would have everyone that follows my Facebook page just be on my mailing list instead. Because if I email you, you know, like at least I know you're going to get the email. <laughs> You know, and even if you don't open it, that's fine. At least I know you're going to get it. <laughs> While as, you know, with, with the Facebook posts, I have no idea whether or not it shows up in your feed or not, because it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's all silly. It's all kind of throttled and um, it's just not as, um, it's not as fruitful as it used to be. So, and they want you, they want you to pay money for the advert, for the advertisement. And I get it. It's business, you know? So every once in a while I'll, I'll pay and I'll pony up to, to put uh, an ad out there, but uh, I don't necessarily feel like it's worth it for me to do it for everything that I post about, but to, to what you were saying with those group pages, those tend to yield a little bit of a better result um, because I think that they have like a better alerting mechanism. Like it's like if somebody posts something like you'll kind of get the, the alert unless you have alerts turned off or something. Yeah, dude. No. Well, I'm glad you guys do that because, um, like I said, if you guys are sharing or posting on the on the labels page, not everyone's going to get it versus those that are in the group. Right. Yeah, I was talking with <laughs> another uh, uh, on another podcast recently, and we, 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 we talked about this at length, and uh, I'll, I don't necessarily think it's worth going over again, but Essentially, yeah, these free tools that we have, it was, it was eventually all leading to this. And I think anyone that is uh, knowledgeable the way these things work, like totally understands like, yeah, like they, they ultimately wanted you to pay 
to use their service because it's it's a significant reach. Like, I mean, you you can, if you pay, you know, ten dollars, reach several hundred people, which is great. You know, because like like a a friend of mine who runs a um, he runs this really cool organization up in Seattle called Artist Home, and like they work with a lot of bands. And you know, he's he's been a musician for a long time. He he's been in the music business as a professional for for a while. And he, he kind of put it the right way where he's like, listen, 20 years ago for a band to promote their show, you basically had to go out and you had to flyer, right? Which takes time, it takes energy, and it takes money to make all those flyers and you got to do all the work and everything like that. And that effectively costs you a lot, right? While as now, if you spend 10 bucks, you can just put the post up and then spend 10 bucks and then hopefully reach out if you if you know how to tweak it the right way, you can reach out to the same amount of people and it only costs you 10 bucks and you can do it super fast. So in a lot of ways, you, you know, if you know how to work it and, and keep up with the way that they're doing it, it can be a really effective tool. Um, but it, it takes time, it takes patience, and it takes a, a, a bit of um, uh, just understanding of like the way that it works. So, you know, it's it's not all bad. It's just that it's not as it's not as ideal as we'd like it to be. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first album that you ever bought? Oh, geez. So the first album that I actually ever bought with my own money uh, was, do you, are you familiar with the artist Jim Croce? Uh, I've heard of him before. So, you know, he was a singer songwriter back in like the 19, I, I, I want to say maybe even back to the sixties, but he's famous for a couple of big songs. Like he had this song called bad, bad Leroy Brown. Right. And uh, time in a bottle. And uh, you know, you know, very um, almost like Joni Mitchell kind of style, kind of folky, you know, uh, singer songwriter stuff. Um, and it's, it, it's just so, you know, I was, I was a little kid. I, I want, I want to say I was like, nine or maybe 10 years old. Um, and my family were out, I think we were Christmas shopping or something. And I had, I had won. Well, no, I, I didn't win it, but my, my, my family had won this little cassette player thing from like a local, uh, video store. Like remember how video stores used to exist (laughs) and they were having this raffle or something like that. And I, uh, we happened to win this little portable cassette deck and my mom actually just gave it to me. She said, here, you can have this. Because, you know, she knew that I was kind of getting interested in music and blah, blah, blah. And we were out and about, uh, I think, Christmas shopping. And we were at a Kmart. And they had this little bin, you know, full of cassettes. And I, th- I think it was like two for seven bucks or something like that. And, you, you know, it was all like bargain bin stuff, like a lot of stuff I had never heard of. Um, and you know, I asked my mom, I was like, well, I don't know who any of these people are. Like, could you point out someone? And she happened to really like Jim Croce. She's like, you should buy that one. It's really good. And so I just, I bought Jim Croce and I listened to it. I thought it was good. I mean, I, I, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't really know anything about him, but you know, I, that was the first real tape that I ever had. But, um, I, I guess, I guess the first album that I ever bought, like I, I, I would say more purposefully, you know, like, like I, I had the intention to go buy it was um nirvana's bleach yeah because uh actually at a at a video store in my small i lived in a very small town when i was a kid 
um, the video store would sell cassettes and CDs actually. Cause we didn't have like a record store in our town. We had, a, but we did have a video store that would rent videos and they had a small section of cassettes and, and CDs. And so um, I had heard of Nirvana. I was like, Oh, that's what I want. So I bought uh, Nirvana's bleach on cassette. Yeah. Wow, dude, that's crazy. Um, that's awesome. I was watching a documentary the other day. It was pretty much about um, sub pop. Mm. And I'm just like, I mean, some stuff is like things you, everybody knows. There, anybody who's a fan of the genre like already knows, but there's like other stuff that I didn't know. I'm like, so crazy but um dude that's sick um how old were you when you bought bleached uh, i mean it must have been i i, I want to say it was like i want to say i was 13 got it yeah. um so you bought and i'm asking this because i've seen you make the tweets about Nirvana and all these grunge bands and all this oh. stuff. <laughs> um, safe to say that that cassette led you to discover and listen all these to these other bands that were on label or in that genre. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean that that was around the time that you know I was I was in junior high school and. Um, you know, it was, it was around the time when I was really starting to get more interested in modern music. Um, cause you know, like I said, my, my sisters who were older than I am, they had introduced me to the stuff that they listened to when they were around, you know, um, like, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And that was more like the Def Leppard kind of Metallica guns and roses stuff. Um, but then fast forward to me being more, uh, of a teenager, you know, adolescent, and that was when, you know, Nirvana and Grunge and Pearl Jam and like all those bands were kind of taken off. And um, yeah, like it, basically that was what was really popular. And uh, Nirvana was obviously kind of everywhere and they were blowing up. And I remember, I just, I just remember people saying like, yeah, Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana. So I'm like, oh, okay, well I'll, I'll, I'll buy the cassette. So I bought the cassette and I, you know, I loved it. And then um, Around that same time, you know, I'd been introduced to bands like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Tool and, you know, Primus and the Chili Peppers and Fugazi. Um, I, I eventually got introduced to stuff like Dead Kennedys and, um, you know, Minor Threat, Bad Religion and, and you know, Pennywise had kind of sprung up and The Offspring had sprung up and, you know, Rancid eventually came around. And uh, it's funny, like I knew about Rancid before I knew about Operation Ivy, like hilariously, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like that whole, like the whole grunge scene, like I was definitely very much, uh, into that sound for a long time. And, you know, I, I mean, I still am, like, I, I still, I still love Pearl Jam. I still love Alice in Chains. I still love Soundgarden, you know, um, they're all, they're all great bands. And I mean, shoot, I, I've been lucky to see most of them. I, the only band I didn't really get to see was Alice in Chains, which is a real bummer because I freaking love them, but. Dude, that is sick. Well, speaking of shows, what was the first concert you ever went to? Uh, so the first, the first concert that I ever, the first actual concert that I ever went to was this all-day festival. A friend of mine, um, him and his dad were going. It was like this all-day blues, like a blues festival. 
but it, it incorporated a bunch of different styles of band. Like the, the main headliner was actually the band war, right? Which, you know, like the song low rider, you know, like all that stuff, like, why can't we be friends? Um, and I, you know, I, I had heard of them, but I didn't really know much about them, but like Elvin Bishop's, uh, played uh, this band called the Mother Hips played who are really popular like Northern California kind of like jam rock band um, and it was mostly people that I had no idea about and like I said it was like this all day kind of blues festival but that was that was the first genuine live concert event that I went to that wasn't just like a you know like a, a symphonic orchestra thing or like you know a, a, like a concert in the park kind of thing right but the first real show, like independent kind of DIY, more or less kind of show or like punk rock show, was actually um, uh, this band Screw 32, who was a pretty popular uh, punk rock band from the East Bay uh, back in like the 90s. They were playing up in the Sierra Nevadas at this fairgrounds uh, that had rented out like one of the big, um, you know, uh, buildings. And so it was them this band called the belligerents who were a local band, another band called triple a who were a local band and they had brought screw 32 had brought up this band called the struggle buggies from the East Bay. So it was two out of town bands and two local bands and it was very punk rock and it was awesome. And that was, that was the first real show that I kind of went to and was just like, all right, like I'm in this, like, this is cool. You know, dude, that is sick. How old were you when you played your first show? Oh geez, I mean it was it was probably it was probably about a year after that after that 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 Screw Thirty Two show. So I I, I want to say I was want to say I was seventeen. Yeah, I think I was like seventeen. Dude, that's sick. Were you playing bass or guitar? I was playing bass. Yeah, it was my little high school band with with my my friends, and you know we we just you know, set up in the garage and played and we, we were kind of not sure what sound we wanted. It, it was like this weird hybrid of punk, funk, metal, ska, like fusion, just weird. You know, we, we didn't know what we wanted to sound like. We just knew that we wanted to be loud. You know, <laughs> Dude. I mean, that's sick though. You guys were just like, dude, let's do this. What three bands dead or alive would you play a show with? And where would you play? Hmm. Wow. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I'd love to play a show with, I mean, gee, there's so many, but like, I mean, I, I would love to, and it's more selfish than anything. Like I'd love to play a show with Fugazi just because I'd love to see them play again because they're incredible and I love them. Um, and they, they put on a very good show. Uh, let's add the Beastie Boys in there because the Beastie Boys are, or you know, were are incredible. And I was fortunate to see them once, and they were awesome. And um, probably another selfish, you know, band to have just there because I love them is Smashing Pumpkins. You know, I think that'd make for an interesting lineup. <laughs> Either the Fillmore or maybe the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco kind of a uh, smaller ballroom style, you know, so not, not too small, like not cramped and, and they both have like very, very good sound. So that, that would be important. Like I would want it to sound really good, you know? 
Dude, that is sick. Okay, so here's the next question. Um, what era of Smashing Pumpkins? Oh, uh, Siamese Dream. For sure. Like the OG lineup. Just the four of them, you know? With, with Darcy <laughs> playing bass. Yeah. Dude. Um, yeah, I've seen you post about them too. So I'm like, okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure who, who your bands were going to be because I'm like, I feel like you would go anyway. I mean, there's Dude. a million bands that I'd love yeah. to throw on there, but if it's only three, I mean, those are three that I think would, would be an excellent show. Like, it, it'd just be badass, yeah. Dude, that is sick. What's the best advice a musician has given you? Hmm. Oh, geez. Um... That's a really good question. Um, I guess, you know, I'm struggling to, to think of something that someone said to me directly uh, because I'm, I'm, I, I just don't know if, if anyone's ever like actually formally given me any real advice, like in terms of music or anything like that. Uh, but something that, I th- that I've always taken to heart that I, I feel is a pretty... Uh, sound piece of advice that I know that I've heard before is, and, and I, uh, I know that this has been talked or said about jazz in particular, but I, I think that it's very much applicable to pretty much any style of music is that sometimes it's about the notes that you don't play that make the difference. And, you know, I've, I've played a lot of different styles of music and one of the things that I think that some bands don't do a very good job of is allowing for space in a song because sometimes that's going to make the difference between trying to fill that emptiness with another sound that actually doesn't make sense. And in a lot of ways, when you do give a song room to breathe, it can make those other parts that are full of sound much more impactful and i i think it's i think it's really just about dynamics and trying to allow for dynamics in a song because it's it's really easy to just fill a song with a bunch of sound and just drive it through and and be this barrage of sound because and and that can work when it's when it's done well but i almost think that it's more challenging to give a song space and, and I, I feel like it can really make a huge difference to a song in a, in a positive way, if you allow for it. That's sick. And um, but outside of music, it almost feels like you could apply it to other things too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost got like a, like a bit of like an existentialist kind of, you know, overtone where it's like, yeah, maybe you just need to breathe or something. You know, so I don't, I don't know, or like, you know, empty your mind or something. But, um, but then again, I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, a, a piece of advice that I got about the record label that I, I've mentioned this before on a few other podcasts, you know, I, I asked a, a friend of mine who ran a record label for a few years and, you know, he, I, I asked him, I was like, Hey, if you have any advice, I'd love to get it. He's like, just don't do it, dude. Like, <laughs> don't start a record label. It's, uh, it's, it's a huge money pit and it takes a lot of time and energy. So maybe you just don't do it. <laughs> So I, 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 it's laughable because it's, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, 
people who run a record label and i know like rob could attest to this he's like dude yeah totally like <laughs> sometimes it's more work than it's worth but, um, but you, do for, you know you do it you do it for fun you do it for because you love it and i i enjoy i do enjoy it so I, when it becomes not enjoyable i won't do it anymore that last point, it's uh, 100%. And with anything, really, too. Because, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm cutting back on the podcast. Right. You know, the minute that you stop enjoying it or it feels like it's a lot, uh, it's time to sit back and think about stuff. Yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> I mean, there, 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 there was a time when I actually put the label uh, on hold where I wasn't really doing anything with the label. And, and some of it was because I was not enjoying it at the time. Uh, mostly it was because I, I couldn't afford to do it. Uh, I was, you know, uh, I was having a little bit of um, turbulence in my job, you know, situation. And so I just, I didn't have any funds to put into it. So I, I, I wanted to be able to make sure that if I was going to do the the label that I would have a little bit of extra spending money. Cause it, it really is something that I do um, as a personal project, right? Like it, it's, it's not a money making endeavor. Like I, I treat it like a business, but it's not really a business, you know, like I don't um, I, I I'm not trying to become the next epitaph records. I'm not trying to become even the next Asian men records, which is probably the closest you know, uh, that I would say I, I really am in terms of the, the spirit of the label, right? Like it's, it's pretty much a one person project. I, I work with other people. Like I, you know, I've worked with Mike from Earshot. I've worked with, um, you know, Kendra Sheets, uh, with her PR. I've worked with Kevin, uh, Kevin Day and like a bunch of other people. And, you know, that's great partnership, but, uh, for the most part, the inner workings of the label is all done by me. Um, and like all the packaging, you know, all the, you know, stuff that I do on social media, you know, every once in a while I'll reach out and I'll get like a little bit of help with design work and stuff like that. But, but even, even all of that, like the coordination, like all that stuff, it, it takes time and it takes energy. And, you know, sometimes it even takes a little bit of extra money and, and then there's just the costs with, you know, making the records and all those things. And, um, you know, during that period where I was not doing it, um, uh, you know, I missed it. I did because I, I enjoyed doing it. But at the same time, I, I also was kind of glad to not be doing it because it it is something that I care so much about that it was better that I let it not encompass all of my time because at that time I had other things that were just really more important, you know. So, and you know, th there there will probably come a time where I'll have to put the record label on hold, on hold again, uh, just because of whatever or you know, uh, maybe I'll just choose to do so gracefully. Well, I'll say, hey, you know what? I gave it a good run and, you know, we'll, we'll just call it a day and that, that'll be fine too. Well, sometimes we, we got to do that. You know, also life happens. Um, right. Whatever that could be. Well, dude, you get, you and the bands are killing it. So, Thanks. yay. What's your favorite thing about music? Oh, geez. I mean, I think, I, I don't know. Like, I treat music almost like a, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, 
I treat music almost like a like a therapy or like a meditation. You know, it, it's it's just something that I feel I kind of have to have around me um, pretty much all the time. It's not that I, I it's not that I don't enjoy silence or anything like that. I just I'm I'm moved by it. I I I, I feel like it pushes me forward, and it's something that I can really uh, invest a lot of. I guess headspace to, because I just find it interesting. I find it fascinating. I, I I love the way it makes me feel. Like I I love I love when a good song just like hits you and you're just like whoa like that sounds so good and like I wish that I had written that or I I wish that I came up with that or something and um you know like every every facet like like listening to it making it watching others perform it. It just, I guess it just feels natural to me, you know, to be involved in it and to have it be a, a fundamental part of what I do in, in pretty much every way. Like, like when I'm working, I'm, I'm typically listening to music, you know, pretty much all day, unless I have like meetings where I can't have music on or something like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just this thing that I, I feel is very natural and, um, I kind of miss when I don't have. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just one of those things, right? Like every day we brush our teeth and we eat and do everyday things. It's like music. It's a must have. Do you remember the first time you maybe listened to a record or you saw a band and you're just like, you just stood there in the moment and you're like, dude, this is sick. I mean, there's been a bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it happens actually quite frequently, I would say. Um, I mean, as far as the first time, I, I don't think that I could probably recall the exact first time, to be perfectly honest with you. But I mean, because, you, know, you know, everyone talks about like, you know, when they first heard Nirvana, like that was like a, a big kind of aha moment. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was for me, but but and I love Nirvana, but, but I, I feel like that one's like so overused that I'd like to think of. I mean, I, I think the first time I ever listened to tool, like that was a pretty amazing experience like in terms of from a sonic perspective. Cause <laughs> like, I mean, I, I kind of remember listening to the album undertow and just thinking, this is the scariest thing i've ever heard <laughs> like what is this you know and you know because you're listening to it and and maynard's voice is so good it's he's got such a good voice you know for that style of music and the 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 timing is so weird and the the just the the, the textures and like the sonic textures of what they're able to put together is just this very um just very ominous it, it's kind of like it makes you feel uncomfortable you know what i mean and i i think that that's honestly what they're going for is like it's supposed to make you feel a little weird like when you when you listen to it and it certainly did that to me where i was like dude i don't i don't know what i'm listening to but i love this and i want to hear more of it and i just i i was hooked when i listened to tool and i i mean a lot of people like give Tool a bunch of crap because they're like, oh, you know, Tool, you know, they're kind of pretentious and, 
you know, their ticket prices are too expensive, which I mean, you know, that's probably true, but I love them and I, I love everything that they do. So, and I, it was like hook, line and sinker. The first time I ever listened to it, I was like, dude, I love this band. That's sick, dude. Um, did you see them when they came out here? Was it like two years ago or something? Or three years ago? So yeah, I've, I've seen Tool once. Uh, it was a few years back. Uh, it was in San Francisco. I actually went with my niece and her husband, which was dope. And a friend of mine went actually too. And uh, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever seen them. And it was great. It was an awesome show. I mean, it was it was the most expensive show I've ever seen. Like the or I should say the most expensive concert that I've seen that was not a festival. Cuz you know, I've paid a little bit more for festival tickets before. But you know, that's like a 3-day thing with 100 bands, right? This was just Tool and um I can't remember I can't honestly can't remember who opened. Um they were I mean they were okay, but um but Tool came on and like, you know, they played for an hour and a half and it was, it was awesome. But um, I, I won't pay that much to see them again, but I'm, I'm glad that I finally did get to see them because I'd been wanting to for a long time. And yeah, they're great. I, I would recommend anyone go see them. They're great. Dude, that's sick. How do you keep it posy? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a mixture of a lot of different things. I mean, I mean, I, I like to, I like to think of myself as a mostly positive person. Um, I mean, it's easy to get bogged down and like feel negative about all this stuff, especially, you know, in, in the world that we live in. But um, I guess ways that I try to keep myself in that positive headspace. I mean, I, I meditate every day and that helps me, you know, cause I, 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 got introduced to meditation many years back a friend of mine kind of brought me in and took me to some classes for meditation and i started adopting that and i i find that it really helps me uh working out helps me stay in a positive mindset um i think it's just a mixture of like physical endorphins and feeling like you're doing something healthy i think that helps uh listening to music and trying to discover new music is a big thing for me um you know, that, that keeps me feeling engaged and feeling like I'm continuing to explore new and exciting things. Um, going to shows, hanging out with friends, you know, eating good food, you know, just, just trying to, trying to live like a balanced life. You know? Yeah, you're right. It's really easy to not keep it pausey. Uh, cause there's so much that will bring you down to the bad side. Dude, well, thanks for hopping on. Do you have any last words, anything else you want to let the people know? Yeah, I would definitely encourage everyone to go check out Sell the Heart Records, uh, all of our artists. We have um, you know, recently released records from the band's uh, States of Nature. We have a new album from the band The Jukebox Romantics coming up in December. And then 2022 is looking up to be a pretty awesome year. Uh, we're going to be announcing the first record uh hopefully within the next couple weeks that'll be coming out uh early next year and um you know something that i would definitely encourage people to consider is to go to our band camp and sign up for our subscription there it's only three dollars a month and it literally gets you all of our albums digitally that we release as they come out they'll be part of your band camp you know it's it's like i said it's only three dollars a month 
And it goes a long way. If enough people do that, you know, then it'll make a huge difference in terms of what we're capable of doing with the label for the bands. We also have a vinyl subscription. Um, so if you, if you collect vinyl and you have an eclectic taste, I would recommend checking that out. Um, but yeah, uh, would love for you to uh, become either a subscriber or just a, a follower of the band on any of the social media sites as well. Yay! So that was my conversation with Andy. Please do yourself a favor and check out Andy's projects. For Sal the Heart, the Facebook and Twitter handle is at Sal the Heart and the Instagram handle is at Sal the Heart Records. For Question the Answers podcast, the Facebook and Instagram handle is at QTA Podcast and the Twitter handle is at QTA Pod. For Tsunami Bomb, the Facebook and Instagram handle is at Tsunami Bomb Official and the Twitter handle is at Tsunami Bomb Band. Thank you again to Andy for being a guest on the podcast. If you haven't yet, please check out the Keep It Posy podcast playlist on Spotify. Title has been added to the playlist and it's the first track off Tsunami Bomb's latest album, The Spine That Binds. And again, if you're looking for new music and collect vinyl, why not check out the vinyl subscription that Sal the Heart offers? If the digital route is more of your thing, check out the $3 monthly subscription via Bandcamp. SalTheHeartRecords.Bandcamp.com As always, you can hit me up via email or social media. KeepItPosy.com for all the contact info. Thank you again to everyone for listening to another episode of the Keep It Posy podcast. Please take care of yourself and watch out for each other. Stay posy always. And remember, life is like a mosh pit. If you see someone fall, you gotta help that person get back up.